Hello, my friend, and welcome to the Mark Stuchowski Podcast, the show that's all about helping you perform at an optimum level. I am Mr. Productivity, and it is my obsession to teach you how to be a more productive version of you. And one of the ways I do that is by inviting you to sign up for the free seven-day productivity challenge. Give me two minutes a day for a week, and I will teach you simple, easily implementable strategies on how to be more productive. Get on the seven-day productivity challenge today by going to my website, mrproductivity.com, M-I-S-T-E-R, Mr productivity.com. On the show today, Paul Smith. He is one of the world's leading experts in business storytelling. He's one of Inc. Magazine's top 100 leadership speakers of 2018, a storytelling coach, and an author of several best-selling books. An incredible episode, a little bit of Houdini thrown in here. What? Listen to the show. You'll understand. Paul, welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me on. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's good to be here talking to another human being as we're all quarantined during this global zombie apocalypse right now. <laughs> right. It is good. Now, if anyone uh, is not familiar with The Walking Dead, one of my favorite TV shows, if anyone turns into a zombie, the only way you can kill them is a knife to the head. I just want a, a public service announcement to put that out there for everybody. <laughs> well, I, I hope that doesn't happen on this show right now, but... Yes, yes. Please please don't let that happen on the show. Well, before we get into the conversation, Paul, why don't you take about 20 seconds or so and tell everybody who you are and what you do? Yeah, so thanks. I'm I'm an author and speaker and trainer. So I, I write on the subject of storytelling as a leadership tool, a sales and marketing tool. And so when I'm not writing books on that topic... I'm, I'm teaching executives and leaders and salespeople how to be better storytellers to help them be more effective at their job. And what's interesting is before we started the recording, you and I shared a little bit about how the trouble we are going through, because for what reasons we cannot understand, Paul, is <laughs> when people lose their jobs, they're prioritizing housing and food and keeping the lights on over coaching and hiring speakers. And I, we, we, we are at a loss of why that's the priority, uh, the priorities that way. Right. Well, maybe if we think about it long and hard enough, we'll figure out why that is. But yeah. So yeah, we we totally can't fault anybody for making those decisions. Yeah. All the, all the the training events and and uh, conferences that I was booked to speak at, of course, they're all shut down. And mm. and that's of course smart. You know, I want people to be healthy as well. I'm sure you and I hope that everything gets back to normal as soon as possible. But uh, I'm I'm glad to be part of helping people stay stay well in between now and then. Yeah. The big question is. What is normal going to look like when this is all right. over? We don't know. Yeah. That's the thing. I We've never know. been through this um, before. And, yeah. you know, there, I read something on Twitter, I think a couple of days ago, they're saying that concerts won't even start up again till fall of 2021. I don't know if that's just yeah. a rumor because a lot of people, I know this is going to shock you, Paul. A lot of people just start rumors on social media without having any facts. And that's, that's why, never happened. <laughs> and that's why whenever I am, uh, looking at something on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, I'm always looking, okay, are they an infectious disease? expert? Are they a virologist? Are they a scientist? Right. Do they know what they're talking about? Because, you know, anybody on social media can can actually type whatever they want. And so you got to make sure you're following the experts. And And I don't know what's going to happen. It, it pains me. I'm a big Disney World fan. You know, Disney World shut down, all the sporting events shut down. I can't believe that the sporting events and all the amusement parks can be shut down until 2021. I, I can't believe that's going to happen. But again, I'm not an expert in that area. Right. Well, I, I, I hope they're not too, but I, I will tell you that I have heard from some of uh, my clients and, and clients of colleagues of mine 
that they are not planning on having uh, open live in-person conferences until 2021 either. Mm. So that doesn't bode well for us. Wow. So, well, which is why I'm spending a lot of my time right now trying to figure out how to convert a lot of my business to online training, you know, and maybe you're doing the same. Yes, I am. And the biggest thing, obviously, is not so much, you know, what method, you know, I, I prefer, I'm actually not speaking as much as I like doing the online training, but now it comes to a, a money issue. If the people are losing jobs or a lot of my clients are entrepreneurs, right. they lost their clients. So we got to wait for money to start coming back in, yeah. with people going back to work, and then we'll start getting more clients. But you know what? We could, we have two choices. We can whine about it or we can say, you know what? I'm, I'm going to take this lemon and make lemonade out. And I think the people who are doing that are going to be better off in the long run than the people who are just whining and complaining because you really, you can't control them unless you have, unless you can create the vaccine. There's nothing that you or I can do about it other than to serve the audiences we have the best that we can. Yeah. Amen to that. So one of the things I ask my guest listener every time they schedule an interview on the Mark Stuchowski podcast is, do you have any suggested questions you'd like to, me to consider asking you? And Paul wrote, corporate escape artist, how I quit my cushy corporate job in my mid-40s to pursue my passion. Now, when I read that, obviously, I had to ask Paul about this because corporate escape artist, that just like screams, ask Paul. So Paul... <laughs> Tell us a little bit about this corporate escape artist that you are. Yeah, well, I mean, I my early career was pretty typical. I mean, I, I, I studied uh, economics in undergrad and uh, got an MBA, spent a couple of years as a consultant, uh, but then spent 20 years at the Procter & Gamble company in, in various levels of, you know, higher levels of management and um, ended up the director of consumer research for about a $6 billion business unit. And and I, I like, I love the company. P&G and I, I liked my jobs there, but I only liked my jobs there. I like, I, you know, and, and I thought at some point in my mid forties, gosh, wouldn't it be great if I loved my job, like all of it, you know, every, every bit of it. I, I've got this theory that most people love about 10% of their job. Mm. You know, it's the reason why they took that job to begin with or, or entered that profession. And then there's 10% that they probably hate, you know, office politics or filling out your expense report or whatever. But then there's that big 80% in the middle. That's just Okay. It's like, yeah, you know, it's, it, it's the job. I, I, I like it. I wouldn't do it if you didn't pay me, but you know, <laughs> it, it, it's okay, but it's, it doesn't like get me excited to get out of bed in the morning. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if my entire job was just that first 10% that I was just really passionate about? And it made me want to, you know, and so I, I considered what would that be? And I kind of settled on, you know what? That 10% for me is the handful of days a year that I get to give a speech at the annual company meeting or teach, you know, the new hires that are coming on or, or teach at our, our general manager training college within the company or whatever. So it was being a speaker and trainer that really was my 10% passion area. But I recognize that the only people that get to do that full time are people who've like written some best selling book and then, you know, people hire them to go do that all over the world. And I thought, well, gosh, I guess I, I guess I need to go write a book. <laughs> so. <laughs> So I did. So I spent the next two or three years while I kept my day job working on that book. And that became uh, my first book, which is Lead with a Story. So about storytelling uh, for leaders. And that is what was the springboard to me to a new career of leaving, like I said, in my mid 40s, quitting my cushy corporate job to go pursue something a little bit crazy. Um, and and I, we can get into some of the details about how I made that decision because there I had a number of very specific criteria before I pulled the trigger. But th to answer your question, that is the choice that I made is in my mid-40s from leaving Procter & Gamble from a very successful and lucrative corporate executive type job 
still too young to retire, you know, still got kids to put through college and leave all of that and become a full-time author and speaker, which of course has zero, you know, um, uh, guarantees and no monthly, you know, corporate paycheck and no benefits and no vacation and you know none of that stuff. Now, I want my listener not to miss something very important that you said, because you said it. I heard you clearly, but I think they might have missed it. It took him two to three years to leave his corporate job. Mm -hmm. So he didn't decide on a Friday he's going to leave his job and Monday he quit. Okay, two to three years. You need to hear this. Because I think, Paul, so many people are seeing all these people leaving their corporate jobs and they're like, oh, I'm going to do that. But they don't realize that you're seeing the finished product, whether it's a Brendan right. Burchard or a, you know, a, a Tony Robbins. They, they did not just quit one day and became successful the next. It's a long journey. And I think people have to step back and look at like Brendan Burchard. He started as a poor kid from Butte, Montana. Now he's one of the leading trainers and he's endorsed by Oprah Winfrey. He just wasn't endorsed Oprah Winfrey from day one. So right. you took two to three years. And I think people need to hear that loud and clear. And you need to work it on the side, like weeknights and weekends and holidays to build it up to a profitable business. Yeah. That, and that's exactly what I did. I mean, I'd, I'd love to tell you this romantic story about how I did walk in on a, you know, <laughs> wake up on a Friday and walk into my boss's office and quit. But, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm more realistic than that and pragmatic and maybe a little bit uh, risk averse. And so I, 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 put a plan in place. In fact, if you're interested, I'll tell you the criteria that I put in place to make that decision. Yes, please do. So, yeah. So the first one was, was the passion that I just told you. I wanted to find a, a, a job. I wouldn't leave my corporate gig unless it was to go to a job where I loved all of it, not just 10% of it. So that was criteria number one. Number two was work that I thought I could really excel at, like really be top notch at what I do, as opposed to you know, be pretty good or average or something. You know, who wants to go to work to be average? And I felt like I was average at my job. Um, number three, I wanted to, I know this is going to sound corny, but I wanted to go do work that made a real difference in people's lives. You know, when I finished my budget meeting at P&G, nobody stood up and applauded. Okay. <laughs> really? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Can you, can you imagine that? But they do at the end of my speeches and, and when people read my books, they, you know, they write and tell me what a difference it's making in their lives. And so I wanted to do work that that would be the impact. So, th so that was number three. Number four was a, a practical one. I, it would, it would have to be something that would pay the bills, right? But just pay the bills. Like I wasn't looking for a job to make more money than I was making there. I was making plenty of money. I had plenty of money. I still have plenty of money. I'm not looking to, you know, become more wealthy. I'm looking to do work that matters, but it can't make no money, right? I've got, I, I do have bills to pay. Um, and number five was, and this is an important one. I maybe shouldn't have put it fifth, but uh, it would be to do work that my wife was comfortable with me doing. All right. So as my life partner, you know, I don't want to make a decision that's going to make her nervous. And so quitting your job after 20 years, you know, before you qualify for retirement and you've got a wife at the time who was full-time at-home mom. So I was the only breadwinner with two young kids. That's enough to make a wife nervous, right? Mm -hmm. So I only would do this if she was comfortable with it. And so those are the five criteria. And I literally, like I test marketed all five of them, right? So I, you know, I, I, I waited until I'd written the whole book and that was the two, two and a half years of writing the first book, getting it published, waiting to see if the phone would, would ring, getting some, um, clients to have me come do what I thought I wanted to do and finding out, yeah, I do love it. And oh, oh, by the way, I loved writing the book too. I thought that was the necessary evil, but I liked that too. So that, you know, that number one was checked off. Number two is checked off just in the feedback. Like I said, I was getting at the end of my, my, my books and my speeches, not like I was getting at P and G. 
Um, number three, same, same reason, uh, the feedback that I was getting. Um, and I waited three or four months after I started getting speaking invade engagements before I left because I wanted, because that was criteria number four. I wanted to see that it would pay the bills. So I wanted to wait to see if there was a sustainable amount of business coming in before I just threw caution to the wind and left. And then for number five, I actually, um, I actually hired somebody to help me with that one. I hired a financial advisor. Right. I paid him some money and I said, uh, okay, here's all of our investments, our portfolio. Here's, you know, my earnings history, whatever. Go away and do, do what you do and come back and tell me and my wife if this is a stupid idea. Um, so he did what he did and he called us into a meeting a couple of weeks later and he said, okay, here's, and he showed us a fancy spreadsheet and all this. And he said, so by my calculations, in order for you to maintain the standard of living that you've been enjoying, the amount of money you need to make out of this new business of being an author and a speaker, is about one third of the amount of your salary at P&G last year. And I looked at my wife and she said, okay, let's do this. Mm. <laughs> you know, that's all it took. It, it didn't, you know, it didn't take the same amount or even, or more money. It took a, a, a modest amount of that. And so that kind of met all five criteria. And that's when I literally, uh, th that's what made the decision. Let me let you ask questions about that because there was actually one more important thing that happened before I said said yes. Yes, I do have some things I want to unpack there. First of all, you mentioned not once but twice the word retirement. And the reason why that really, when I hear that, my ears perk up is to me, that's like a vulgar word because mm. my philosophy is why would you want to retire when, you, when you're when you doing what you love to do as long as you can do it? Mm. I get asked, yeah. my wife and I go to Bible study class and it's 50s and up, mainly most people in the 60s and they say, Mark, what are you going to do when you retire? I'm like, retire? That? <laughs> why would I want to retire? I love what I do. I love serving the people. So now that's not for everyone. I mean, you, mm. if you want to retire, I'm saying good for you, retire. But for me, and my wife fully, we're going to talk about that in just a second. My wife fully is on board with that. I can do what I do, speaking, training, podcasting until I die. I don't plan on dying mm -hmm. in the podcast. That's a, more of a dream right. of mine. My <laughs> wife would not let that happen. Second yeah. thing is, and then point number three, you know, something you want to serve the world. You said, uh, Grant Cardone's got this great book, which I highly recommend everybody read called Be Obsessed or Be Average. Be obsessed mm -hmm. or be average. Nobody says, you know what? I just want to be an average basketball player right. or I want to be an average. I'm sure Tiger Woods never said, I want to be an average golfer. No, he wants to be obsessed with it. So I, I implore you, listener, please choose to be obsessed. Pick that thing in your life that you're really, really, really into. Be obsessed about it and become a master of it. And the last thing you talked about, well, not the last thing. Oh, yeah. The last thing you talked about, about your wife being bought in. Folks, if your spouse is not supporting you, you have got a tremendous uphill battle. My wife is my biggest cheerleader. I mean, she proofreads everything I put out and she's my biggest cheerleader. If I ever felt for one second that my wife, Michelle, didn't believe in me, I would quit. And so mm. I, I, I've talked to people who are entrepreneurs, Paul, who say they're struggling. Oh, I can't get it going. I'm like, does your spouse believe in you? Oh, they hate what I'm doing. <laughs> Lots of luck. You're never, you're, because yeah, you don't have a buy-in at home. You're never right. going to success. Would you uh, be successful? Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. That's why that made my, my list of five criteria. And, and I think people need to step back and think about that. And here's the thing. You, you also did something else I thought was fascinating. You hired a financial planner. He came back and talked to you and your wife. So your wife was included in the process. I think you need to get not only your spouse, but if you're going to write a book 
And I'd like to you to tell us a little bit of the process of writing your book. You're going to need some quiet time to write your book. And so if you've got mm-hmm. like four kids and your wife and a dog and two cats and a, 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 par- yeah. a parrot and a, a partridge in a pear tree, you're going to need to get everybody on board. So they say, hey, listen, when I'm writing my book, I can't be disturbed. So you have to have everybody be- uh, bought into this, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely a, you know, a, a family decision, but in that particular meeting with that financial advisor, there was the most important person in the room was my wife. Yeah. <laughs> she was the one that, that was her criteria right there. I think, I think there's a, a Christian comedian that says happy, happy wife, happy life. And oh, yeah. if the mom whole... ain't happy, nobody's happy. That's what we say <laughs> at my house. A hundred percent. So walk us through. Okay. So you decided you're going to write the book. Okay. And I don't know why my voice got so high when I said that. Uh, you're just excited. Yeah. I'm just so, I'm just, that's why I am. My audience ex- expects it from me. So walk us through that you made the decision. To write the book, your wife said, "Sounds good." So, how did you set yourself up for writing success? I talk a lot about setting yourself up for productive success. You just can't stumble into being productive. You certainly can't stumble into writing a book. So, walk us through. Get us really granular here. How you set yourself up to be a successful author? Yeah. So, probably a couple of things. One is I studied the profession of writing and publishing right? Uh, writing, because that's what I wanted to do and publishing, because I knew I would have to get a publisher to go along with it. So I read a couple of books about the the authoring and publishing industry just to learn about it so that I would know what I was talking about um, and know how to appeal to publishers. You know, how, how do you uh, craft a, a proposal, a book proposal and, and send it to a publisher and what has to go in the book proposal? What, what makes an attractive proposal to a publisher and what makes a not very attractive proposal? So I learned about the business that I was about to go into um, secondly, I learned a lot about the topic I wanted to write on. I probably read 40 or 50 books written on storytelling for business. And there were, there were more than that, um, to learn, to become an expert in the field. I was about to, you know, present myself as an expert in and write a book about it. You know, so I wanted to find out where was there a need in the marketplace? Where had, you know, what part of storytelling had not been explored in books? Um, so that's for sure part of my preparation. Um, the, the other part that's probably worth mentioning, especially given the theme of your podcast of, of productivity is I, I got very disciplined about it. So I set the goal of every day spending one hour researching or writing my book during the week. Okay. While I was going to work, um, and five hours on the weekend. So every day, weekday, either, either during my lunch hour, 30 minutes or so, um, and maybe 30 minutes before I went to work or 30 minutes after the kids went to bed or something. But every day during the week, one hour, I would work on, on researching or writing this book in five hours on the weekend. And f- over the course of two years, you know, that, that's what it took. But I tracked my progress literally. You know, if we were, if we had a video call going on right now, I'd show you because I still have it taped to the inside of my, my, uh, uh, desk drawer here. Oh, wow. Is I, I wrote out. Uh, the timeline of what I, the things that needed to happen for me to achieve my goal, starting with have an idea for a book and about 20 or 30 other things along the way of like, well, get, get an agent to represent me, you know, write a book proposal, do the research, write the book, um, find a publisher, negotiate a contract, you know, all of the, all the, the, the tactical steps of getting a, a book published and, and, uh, seeing it on shelf. And the, the last one being, you know, see my book on shelf at Barnes and Noble or whatever. And every time I accomplished one of these milestones, I would have my kids check it off in, in crayon at the time with the age they were then and, and write the date by it. Um, and I, and, and that, and that just kept me motivated. I always look at that. Okay. What's the next thing not checked off on this list? Cause that's what I need to work on today. 
And that process got me through a two and a half year process of having a, a book that became a, a, a bestseller uh, on the shelves and moved me into a, a new phase of life. You know, it's interesting when you said that you, you know, seeing your book on the shelf is, you know, got to be surreal. It's just like w- my podcast is out there. And when I see my podcast in the directories, I'm like, wow, that's, yeah. That, that's, that's me. It, it, that's me. It's like, holy cow. Yeah. Uh, something else you said, uh, you were talking about, you know, I really appreciate you sharing, you know, your journey to writing the book. I, I took a training once with Brendan Burchard and he was talking about, cause he, he's an author like you and he always wanted to write books. And in the beginning, he didn't know how to write a book. So what he did, he started interviewing authors and he started making plans to go all these, all these conferences and workshops. And, and what he found out is when he talked to authors, he goes, okay, I, what training do I need to, to be an author, what, you know, what conferences I go to, what workshops, and you know what they told him? They said, mm. you need to write. Authors yeah. write. And, and so he was trying to do <laughs> all this stuff advice. on the periphery, you know, and he, and periphery, and he's like, okay, conferences, workshops, but no, you, you have to write. If you're an author, it means you write. So yeah. sometimes you just have to write. And see, see, sometimes we can't see the forest for the trees. We're mm-hmm. getting all this training, but no, you need to start writing. And I, I read, um, I think I heard Tim Ferriss one time, one of his video blogs. He said, you know, he writes, I think 30 minutes every day. And sometimes it's crap and he just throws it away. But if you yeah. want to be an author, if you want to be a writer, you have to write every day because you got to keep that muscle going. And a lot of stuff you write and tell me if you do this, a lot of stuff you write, you just throw in the garbage, but it, you're building that muscle of keep writing. Do you do that on a regular basis? Well, I, uh- I do, but I, I guess I'm not sure I totally agree with that advice because I, I, I would want to make a distinction between being a writer and being an author. Okay. Right? A writer is somebody who's a writer that I would call a writer is somebody who was born to write, you know, and they'll, they'll write anything. You know, I'll, I'll write magazine articles. I'll write books. I'll, I'll write blogs, you know, about whatever topic it is. I just, I love writing, right? I love the, the, the spoken and written word, whatever. Other people, an author is somebody who was born to do something else. And then writes a book about it, mm. right? So they're not necessarily like I think I'm a good writer. I don't know that I'm the world's greatest writer, um, and but I don't have to be. I, the, an author, you know, writes books that are helpful to people. But I, I don't think I could write fiction because to write fiction well, it just, you just have to be a really, really good writer, like Stephen to, King or someone like that. Yeah, exactly. You're exactly. But to be a successful nonfiction author, you need to be a, a good writer, not a great writer, but a good writer with great ideas that people want to read about and learn from. So to me, I don't have to practice my writing skills every day because I'm not writing every day. Right now, I, I just to, I had two books published last year in the last six months. So I'm not going to be writing another book for a while. So I don't <laughs> need to keep writing every day. What I need to do is speak. I mean, that, that, that's the real thing. So anyway, I think there's a difference between being a writer and being an author. You know, that that's a good point because – Everyone's heard the saying, I think everyone's heard the saying that everyone's got a book in them. But you know, yeah. I read some of these books, like, uh, I love Cal Newport. He's got a book, Deep Work and Digital Minimalism and Adam Grant's another good author. And I read mm-hmm. these books and all these stories and they craft all these messages. I'm like, you know what? I, I can write like show notes and blog posts and articles, but when you're an author, I mean, you really got to know what you're doing because nobody just wants to read like a, um, a, a I'm going to date myself here, like a VCR manual. Nobody wants to read right. that. And oh, so yeah. you, when you write a book, the really good authors know how to take the research that's really boring and they share stories and interweave characters. And, and, and that's when you get them the book. Like, I wish there was more. And so, yes. yeah, everyone may have a book in them, but not everyone should write a book. 
Yes, I agree with that. And, <laughs> and, and the best business books are, they, they read like a novel and that is my goal. Um, but, but I think it's still a fair distinction to make that you don't need to be the world's best author or writer to be a successful nonfiction author. Share with us one regret that you've had as you left corporate America and you began your writing career. One now the, the regret could be, you know, I, I wish I didn't leave corporate America, though I don't think you're gonna say that. But one regret you if you can go back to that time you made that decision and you went left instead of right, share with us just one regret you made or one mistake or one thing you would have uh, done differently. I mean, that's a great question. I, I I feel pretty good about the way I handled most of it, the, the way it was planned out, you know, and I, I was very upfront with my management about what I was doing, what my plan was. This wasn't like a secret, you know, thing that, <laughs> that I was pulling off behind anyone's back. And and I know a lot of people who try and do that. And I think that's a terrible idea. Um, so I, I feel pretty good about the fact that most of what I did, I I, I feel pretty good about. Um, maybe if I could change one thing, it would be... Um, I, well, I guess I wish I felt like I was great at my work before I left instead of just good at my work mm. before I left. I mean, I always want to do my my best. And I, I guess I feel like, you know, there was an assignment or two that I don't feel like I'd, I did my best. And and maybe that's because I'd already realized this is not what I'm meant to do in life. Um, and maybe my safe path of taking that two and two and a half years to leave, maybe, I don't know, maybe that was a disservice to my employer. Maybe I should have left sooner than that. But um, uh but I, I don't think I, I don't think I would call that a, a real regret. Um, That's fair. I, uh, I don't want to live with uh, regret, so I try and manage my life to where I don't have them. Well, I want to applaud you because a lot of people go to their job and they don't like their job. Maybe they don't like their job. They don't like the boss. They don't like the coworkers. They don't like the color of the wallpaper. They don't like the commute. Whatever mm -hmm. the case may be, and they go. <sighs> just like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, and just go. Yeah. Well, this is my lot in life. Oh, but wow. you said, you know. I can, I have more to offer this world. And you made that decision and it took two to three years and you made that decision. And I just wish more people would say, you know what? There's more in me. And, and, and all I want you to do, listener, is take that next step. Maybe you start brainstorming what you could do. Maybe you start, uh, you know, doing research or something. Just take that step in the right direction. And like Tony Robbins always says that, even if it's the wrong direction, at least you're moving. But don't yeah. don't just sit there and go, well, I guess I'm going to stay the rest of my life. No, you. if you have a fire in your belly, then go act on that fire in your belly. Yeah, uh, amen to that too. So before we wrap up, I got to ask you a couple questions, Paul. Is there anything we didn't cover on the show today you'd like to share with our audience? Uh, well, I can tell you the, the, the subject of my last book that I think would be interesting to your audience is the 10 stories great leaders tell. Okay. So that's, uh, it, and it is exactly what it sounds like. If you're looking for stories that you need to be telling around, uh, around the office, it's probably in that book. <laughs> okay. And, uh, the final question is where can we find you online? Uh, yeah. So, uh, just my website. Yeah. The best thing. So lead with a story.com. That's the title of my first book. And I never got more creative with, uh, website titles, but, uh, yeah, you can find all access to all my books and training events that I do and stuff like that there. You know, I'm a fan of simplicity, Paul. Okay. A lot of people who are thought leaders in the space of podcasting say, Mark, you shouldn't call your show the Mark Stuchowski podcast. I'm like, why? I'm Mark Stuchowski on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. And why would I want to change it for, for, you know, 
podcasting. I, I, I don't understand it. I mean, I am the brand. And, and so one of my dreams, I was talking to my wife about this uh, before I started uh, recording your uh, interview. It's one of these days, because right now I use MrProductivity.com as a redirect to my website for because some people can't spell MarkStucheski.com. Mm. One of my goals is to become so well-known that I don't need the, the redirect anymore. People can spell Struchowski. So I don't know if that's going to happen in my lifetime because Struchowski is a rather complicated name, but maybe someday. That's one of my long long-term goals to yep. not have to have it. I mean, when you go to mrproductivity.com, you go to markstuchowski.com, but I just try to make it easier for everyone. But that's one of my long-term goals to not have well, to have that redirect anymore. I, I think that's a valid long-term goal. And, and by that metric, I'm the most famous guy in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Paul, Nobody I, misspells Paul Smith. I was telling Paul before he started recording, I said, you know, I, I practice for weeks on how to say your name because I have some guests on the show who have names like Struchowski and I have to practice over and over again. And so I respect people's names but so thank thank you to your mom and dad for giving you a real easy name (laughs) i'll pass that along (laughs) well paul thank you so much for being on the show today really appreciate you sharing everything you did with us listeners i always tell you just take one thing he said because you try to do more than once it's going to be overwhelming you're not going to do anything so take one thing he said and then reach out to paul and let paul know what you thought of this interview and that you appreciated him being on the show paul thank you again so much you bet thanks for having me on And just before we go, don't forget to head on over to my website, MrProductivity.com, M-I-S-T-E-R, MrProductivity.com, and sign up for the free seven-day productivity challenge. Let me help you become a more productive version of you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mark Stuchowski Podcast. Until we meet again, my friend, go be productive.